Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. I, Space Commander Kion Wolf, hereby discover this moon of Jupiter in the name of the United Republics of Canada and Public Radio and our King Ashton II. Here I plant our flag. Dude, could you get that flag off my lawn? Lawn? But this is an unstable formation of semi-gaseous argon crystals glittering in the pale reflected light of Jupiter. Whatever. It's my yard. You can't discover my yard. How about those glowing clusters of fluorescent mosses emitting harmonic noises and smelling slightly of spearmint? Can I discover those? The Neptunian gypsy lichens? Those are so four years ago. I don't know anybody who eats them anymore. Even the pickled kind. Okay. Well, there's these enormous humanoid creatures soaring unprotected in the dark vacuum of space above our heads. I guarantee that nobody's discovered them. The supermassive relativity angels. Dude, everybody knows about them. If you discover them, people will laugh at you. You just don't get it, do you? Just because you're bored with certain things doesn't mean they aren't new to me. And if they're new to me, I can discover them. Then I can discover you. Hey, everybody, I just discovered a new life form called, let's see, the bipedal terra-migrating stinky pants. Can you not mention that? It's a design flaw in the spacesuit. The next time I come here, I'm going to smell fresh as a daisy. Come see the stinky pants I discovered. You're all going to want one until they're totally yesterday. Oh, yeah? Well, we'll see about that. If I become a trend on this moon, I'm going to have some staying power. Meanwhile, back on Earth, the nose will talk about Columbusing, biting, and the merger of Mensa and Match.com. And now he just discovered these cats who play piano on the internet. Colin McEnroe. Yeah, it's amazing. I just discovered this. They're these cats and they play the piano. It's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, uh, welcome to the nose, the special Our Luis Does Not Bite edition of the nose. Uh, Luis Figueroa from Trinity College, professor at Trinity College, is here with us. Uh, so is Teresa Kramer. She is uh, one of the founders of The Cut, an online magazine celebrating the uh, idiocies of Connecticut or something like that. Uh, Carolyn Payne, it would be, take too long to explain who she is, but uh, she's a dance impresario, actress, Comedian, blogger, writer, some other stuff, right? Lots of stuff. Lots of stuff, she yeah. She also owns a vicious cat. Right. And she owns a vicious <laughs> cat. We'll be telling you uh, time if, if there's world, en- world enough in time, we'll tell you about her vicious cat uh, and her line of uh, towels and linens at JCPenney. All right. So um, we're going to start. Well, later on the show, we are going to talk about Luis Suarez, who has touched off a conversation not only about Luis Suarez, who's an Uruguayan soccer player, but about biting in general uh, because he bit somebody. Uh, he bit an Italian soccer player. Well, we'll come to that. We'll explain all that. And uh, if time permits, we will also talk about um, a merger not a total merger, but a collaborative venture, shall we say, between Match.com and Mensa. Mensa, of course, is uh, the um, organization for the supposedly super intelligent. Um, and the number of people will be offended by the word supposedly in that sentence. But we'll come to that, too. But first of all, we do have to talk about Columbusing. If there is going to be, you know, at, well, at the end of the year, there's always kind of the word of the year, the neologism of the, of the year, various organizations and dictionary groups and stuff, they always pick something. Columbusing, which is having a moment right now, uh, may be uh, a leading candidate. Uh, Columbusing, well, actually, Columbusing has really been kind of touched off as a thing, 
which is the same thing as having a moment, uh, by a video on the site, a College Humor. Let's uh, play a little. Basically, let me set it up. There's a, a black guy and a white guy in a bar, and the white guy is claiming to have discovered the bar, and they get into a conversation about whether you can really claim to have discovered something that was around a long time before you got there and whether that's uh, intrinsically uh, a pattern for white people. Mm-hmm. And Bed-Stuy, whether you can claim to have discovered Bed-Stuy, yeah. So, um, so let's hear just a little clip from, from that video. Is there such thing as reverse Columbusing? Could somebody Columbus something from white culture? It's impossible. White people are too good at taking credit for stuff. What if I Columbus hummus? Already Columbus from the Middle East by health-conscious whiteies. Zumba class. Columbus from Columbia by every white mom. Boat shoes? Practically moccasins, which we Columbus from the Native Americans, among other things. What if I Columbus, uh... Peacoats. Well, you can't Columbus peacoats because... Because... Because you can't. Yes, because I can. You can't. I Columbus you can't because it's not fair. I've been wearing peacoats since long before I discovered hey guys, bed style. How about we try this brand new trend? Not new. Come on, let's go to the outlets. No one go to the outlets. Don't chant. Stop chanting. No one go to the outlets. All right, so uh, they're all going to the outlets to buy peacoats, which they've just discovered. What so, are peacoats? Pe- no, peacoats. 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 You haven't Columbus peacoats yet, but uh, but perhaps you will. Although not on a hot day like this. So, um, but so Luis Figueroa, uh, if I walk into a or if I if I announce that I've discovered this Tres authentique Veracruzan restaurant in East LA, what I usually mean, and I say things like that all the time, uh, what I usually mean is I think I'm the first Anglo to walk through the door of that restaurant. I mean, it's been sitting there for five years. Everybody's been enjoying their food. <laughs> but I think, so I say I've discovered it. So in that instance, so I, th- that, that's where the term Columbusing seems to apply. Mm-hmm. I'm Columbusing it. I'm claiming I've discovered uh, something that already uh, exists. N- is there something inherently offensive about that? Uh, I, not for a, I don't think that for a restaurant is the case. Uh, there might be other things um, uh, that have greater cultural value or political um, worth, maybe. Um, the, the case of the restaurants, the one that I was going to bring up also is that case of piña colada, for mm. example, was invented <laughs> in Puerto Rico, <laughs> but we never get credit for it, <laughs> like Cubans sometimes do, uh, other people. Um, but no, but but I think that the concept of Columbusing is it's a great concept for discussing. Uh, and not, I mean, I'm a historian, obviously the roots with Columbus, but I want to defend Columbus in one thing because he was Columbus himself mm-hmm. by Amerigo Vespucci, who claimed that this was a continent and whatever, and so that's why it's called America, mm-hmm. North America, and South America. So even the original <laughs> Columbus in person was Columbized <laughs> or Columbus himself. I don't feel the Chinese bit sorry for him. So, uh, by the way, just as we are progressing here, I should also mention that when we get into the conversation about Match.com and Mensa, we'll come back to pina coladas, obviously, because if you like pina coladas and getting 800 on your board scores, uh, (laughs) there's a song there somewhere. Um, So um, I do want to say if you want to call in, if you've ever Columbused anything or been offended by it when somebody Columbused something, once again, Columbusing defined as usually white people uh, claiming that they have discovered something that has existed for a long time. Twerking in Miley Miley Cyrus seems to be the most common place to go with that whole idea. Uh, but anyway, uh, give us a call, 860-275-7266, or maybe you're just discouraged and offended by the whole concept. So um, Teresa Kramer, uh, Louise was reluctant to condemn uh, the effete uh, food 
who says he's discovered the Veracruzan restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I know you well enough to know that you are prepared to to, uh, uh, to condemn that person. Well, so I, I'm torn about this because, one, um, I, I, I guess when I say I've discovered something, I don't mean that I'm the first white person to walk through the door. I mean, this is the first time I knew this existed, and therefore it's new to me. And I don't think I discovered it any more than I founded the restaurant. But but I'm also wondering if there's a flip side to this wherein, say, certain hipsters just get mad when their things have been columbus I guess. and Or they Columbus something and then everybody else catches on. I think hipsters and are Columbusers. They, they, they are the Columbusers, yes. you're saying? Yes. And then they get mad once whatever they've Columbus catches on. And then they abandon it. So I'm wondering if there's this whole flip side to this. I I mean, first of all, this has obviously been going on forever. Luis's um, mention in Pina Colada is uh, appropriate. And, and, And I think a lot of it depends on sort of how you handle what you're doing and to what degree there's any kind of acknowledgement of the past, right? If you think Miley Cyrus invented twerking, mm-hmm. well, then that's sort of – there's an implicit Columbusing that's going on there. Yeah. If you understand that twerking as a word and an idea is 14 years old and the yin-yang twins or, or somebody uh, you know, introduced it uh, a long time ago but that Miley Cyrus popularized it, then, then I think that's considerably more OK. And I think the other thing that's, that's the most disturbing thing would be to embrace something that seemed disturbing and unsettling to you when people of color did it because white people start doing it. So yeah. if you were freaked out by Little Richard doing rock and roll and then it was suddenly OK when Pat Boone sang the same songs, that's the most obnoxious form of Columbus. Actually, I, I, in my list of notes here, uh, I was going to ask you and uh, other, you know, uh, Teresa and Caroline, um, our names sound Ro- so much better. When I you was say just them. thinking that <laughs> <laughs> when you say our names, well, yeah, <laughs> accented um, for a donation of a hundred dollars or more to WNPR. Luis Figueroa <laughs> will say your name into your voicemail. <laughs> yes, um, isn't rock and roll? Yeah, one of the ultimate examples of mm-hmm. Columbusing. I mean, so I think I'm going to disappoint Colin today because I'm not angry enough about Columbusing. <laughs> I feel like because I mean. Is, are you always Columbusing something? <laughs> I, I mean, how can you not always be Columbusing something unless you're the first person to have invented it and you're never going to be that person? So anytime you take something that you decide you'd like and sort of reinvent it or make it into your own, you're stealing it from somebody. And there's just no getting around that at this point. So I feel like it's almost something that you – why would anyone bother being mad about being Columbus at this point? Well, I think it's it's exactly what Colin said. It's like how it's done. Mm-hmm. If you're, you know, just this very self-righteous jerk about it and being like, no, I totally invented this. Mm-hmm. Like I had actually heard the term Columbusing before this video and a friend of mine was like, oh, my God, I totally Columbus Orange is the New Black among our group. <laughs> and I was like, what? Does no, no, you didn't, and no, just never use that term again. Like I was more, <laughs> I was just outraged by that. And then when I saw this link, I was like, oh no, it's a thing. And I, I think that, I think it's how it's done. Like the fact that this person was just so, you know, just so convinced that they were the force behind this amazing enlightenment that they offered everyone. I, I think that that's where, because I agree, there is very little that 
is, you know, new under the sun. <laughs> I, I, I like to follow up on that um, in the sense that I think that where it gets more problematic for a lot of people is when the person doing the color machine is making quite a bit of money out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, uh, two, two recent examples of drinks. Um, yerba mate has been in the culture in South America, especially Argentina, Uruguay, Paraguay, uh, for centuries. And yet now when you go to Whole Foods, that's one of the greatest ingredients now that people put in certain drinks. For me, related to piña colada, is coconut water. Mm-hmm. You cannot walk through the aisles of Whole Foods now or some stores like that and coconut water this, coconut water that. And, and when I first <laughs> noticed it, <laughs> I was really laughing. Um, I was loud and people were looking at me in the store like I was really weird <laughs> because I grew up in a country where, you know, when I was growing up, it was a quarter was, you know, a coconut fresh, cold right there, not exported, you know, thousands of miles. Not packaged um, in those little juice boxy things. Yes. And, you know, and it tastes it's awful. A, it's a yoga lady thing now, right? Yeah. It's yeah. Tastes, yeah. It, and they, and they, I have not yet tried one single brand that tastes good. Um, but the one that I forgot to Google is the ingredient in Red Bull. Mm-hmm. Um, Guaranya? Yeah, because isn't that something that people have been using for Thousands I of years. just listened to a podcast today, and the I don't know if you know the actor Romani Malco. He played Conrad on Weeds, and he is from uh, Trinidad. Uh-huh. And his dad was always going around yelling about various herbal supplement, not herbal supplements, but he's like, "Eat this. This is good for you," you know. And Guarania was one of the ones he mentioned today. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that is definitely. I found a, a more mellifluous term than Columbusing. Uh, that uh, I can at least get it back two years uh, to 2012. Stephen Crockett, uh, writing for uh, The Root uh, on the Washington Post website, uh, writes, look, I get it. The chocolate city has changed. It isn't what it used to be. And I don't know what's worse. The fact that D.C. was once so marred by murder that it was nicknamed Dodge City or that there is now a hipster bar on U Street that holds the same name. Point is, there is a certain cultural vultural, uh, cultural vulturalism and African-American historical swagger jacking going on on U Street. Mm-hmm. It's an inappropriate tradition of sorts that has rent increasing black folks moving further out, sometimes by, ch- by choice, sometimes not, while a faux black ethos remains. Swagger jacking, I kind of like better swagger than swagger jacking. Jacking. swagger jacking. But I think there's another question here, too. And it's, you know, it's, it's not just the issue of appropriation. I think it's also where we're located in time. You know, there is a little bit of a tendency to think that the moment we inhabit is the moment and everything that, that, that preceded this moment is the past and everything that will, will come from this moment is the future, which is not an unreasonable supposition unless you spread it out towards everything, you know, so that there was a very interesting uh, little piece by Eugenia Belafonte in the New York Times, I think I circulated around, uh, about what nostalgia is. And, and she's talking about how all these Brooklyn artisanal hipsters are getting very nostalgic for, for example, the Kentile uh, floor sign, which really is, you know, a, a reference point to to an old era where there were companies in Brooklyn that had little factories that made you know, that floor tiles probably had asbestos in them and stuff like that. But they want to preserve the sign even while they're getting their, you know, reclaimed barn wood shipped down from upstate New York to, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, to do their apartments over. There, there's so anyway, that was sort of her sense is that they, they're inhabiting a moment, you know, in kind of a Columbusing sort of way and sort of saying, oh, I love that old thing, but, you know, not in any real way. Uh, the philosopher, the German, German philosopher uh, Walter Benjamin, philosopher and cultural critic in the early 20th century, 
um, he wrote uh, about a concept that is translated to English as newness, and the fact that one of the the hallmarks of modernity uh, under capitalism and so on is that we always have to be searching for the latest thing, the new thing, and even if um, you know if it exists, somebody will try to capitalize it, and if not, we'll just invent it. But moreover, for most people, is to feel that you are part of the latest trend. Um, and it's kind of a way to fulfill yourself in the society that we live. Uh, and, it, and if uh, you can sort of jump the gun over your peers, your family, your friends, over some fashion, some concept, um, it kind of gives you a greater um, value in the society. And, and I think that, that this, is, this thing about Columbus is, is somewhat related to this obsession to always find what is the newest thing before you, the people around you. Well, I, I have an interesting question for you because you're, you're a DJ. I have a friend who is obsessed with, like, if, being the first to hear a song, you know? Like, being the one who is like, oh, I heard, I've been listening to this for months. And, so, I mean, as a DJ, do you get your jollies in delivering uh, <laughs> new, new tunes to people? Um, this is an essential part of the identity of a DJ because you go to the stores that are online stores that are uh, catering to DJs, and uh, producers will put their on sale songs before they are quote-unquote officially released and they're called promos and then they charge you twice as much for it and it's always a thing of being the first one to play a tune i mean that's from the beginning of you know djing back in the 70s is when you show up in a club and someone is playing a song and you're like no what was that and now everybody's you can see people shazamming the songs um, we're talking about this uh, issue of Columbusing, although we're going to kind of run out of time here uh, pretty soon to talk about that. Although I just quickly want to say, I, I sort of think Columbusing is, for the most part, okay. It really is how culture grows, right? We absorb things. We, you know, and, and, and certainly it goes on all over the globe, too. If you, if you look at Japanese pop culture, it's a complete recapitulation of African-American culture, unapologetic, just biting on. Sorry, sorry that's the next segment, but uh, an, an unapologetic <laughs> co-opting of all of that. But it, it kind of is how we grow. And, and even in the Belafonte piece, I, I sort of feel like that nostalgia, as long as it's informed, right, as long as it's, first of all, as Louise said, not somebody else profiting off the work of others, uh, and as long as it's sort, of, it's sort of understood for what it is and that there's some kind of connection. She, she writes, uh, let me see if I can just uh, pull this up here. Um, the, uh, the theory for preserving these monuments to, the, to advertising rests on the notion that we must maintain a link to the city's lunch pail past. And she's talking not only about Kentile signs, but Carhartt jackets and SO shirts and trucker caps and factory paraphernalia and that kind of stuff, all being worn by recent graduates of better Eastern colleges. Uh, she says uh, that's a way of maintaining a link to the city's lunch pail past, Al- almost as if there were no lunch pail present. Uh, certainly among not every nostalgist is a supplicant to indifference, but how much more productive would it be for those in the business of memorializing to focus their energies instead on improving the lives of working class New Yorkers today? As it happens, there are still plenty of them. So I sort of get that, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it reminds me of a day in the Lower East Side where, uh, you know, I, we were, my son and I were walking around, around among all these hipsters in this old kind of crusty um, Lower East Sider, uh, a person of color actually, um, in an expletive-filled burst that I can't possibly uh, recreate, <laughs> said, blankety, blankety, blank, like it's some kind of work of art that you live here? Yeah. <laughs> actually, that brings up something I wanted to ask you guys and, and to the audience, because I think that people who are listening to us will think, well, that doesn't apply to me. There's one form of Columbus thing I think that pretty much almost everybody has experienced, and that is when at work, 
or in school, uh, you came up with an idea, and then a coworker or your boss, supervisor, will then maybe a few days later or a few hours later, a week or two later, will present that same idea as if it was that person's. Uh. I mean, how many? I mean, that right there to me, that is the the, the most common form of colonizing, and I think that almost probably everyone listening to this show has experienced this, and it's so frustrating. I mean, and is that, that person that's stealing. Well, but you know, if it depends on how you look at it. I mean, for example, in academia, it's mm-hmm. called plagiarism, yeah. but it happens. <laughs> but it happens a lot. I mean, I know someone who stole a dissertation topic from another student when I was in graduate school, mm-hmm. and the person who stole it became a very famous historian. Yeah, I, I think once again, it depends on whether you cite your sources or not. I totally Columbus the idea of endorsements, which we do at the end mm-hmm. of the show from Slate Culture Gabfest. But I mean, I've, I've done my best to admit that as, as frequently frequently as I can remember to do it. Hey, we've got to take a little break here. We got to come back. We got to make sure we talk about biting and then ideally, you know, about wonderful dates between smart people that lead to biting of an affectionate kind. So, uh, first of all, uh, apologies, to any, apologies to anybody who, was, um, who had some technical problems. The problems were on our end. We're back up. Everybody uh, who wants to listen to us should be able to listen to us. Uh, so I don't know why I'm telling you that. You already know it. You can hear us. Uh, anyway, uh, this is The Nose. With us are Carolyn Payne, Teresa Kramer, Luis Figueroa. And we're, uh, we're moving on here to the world of biting. Um, and so Giorgio Cellini, who's an Italian uh, defender uh, in World Cup soccer, uh, felt a little something on uh, his uh, torso uh, during an encounter with Luis Suarez. But it wasn't a big surprise because Luis Suarez, who's a player for Uruguay, is kind of famous uh, for biting people. Uh, He's done it more than once in the course of competitive soccer play. Uh, but it was the first time, you know, that particularly uh, right now, America, the United States, is really kind of columbusing uh, international <laughs> soccer. It's like uh, everything's new to us. Wow, we just discovered this terrific thing. It's wonderful. Uh, so uh, And so Luis Suarez also is quite new to us, uh, though maybe not to Luis. So we thought we'd talk a little bit about this biting incident and also kind of sort of how we wound up perceiving biting. Although it was interesting because Carolyn didn't know about it because her Internet was down. You should tell this story. Okay. So this week I lost my modem broke. So I had no internet and no television, which anyone who knows me knows I was just bugging out. Uh, so I finally get UVerse on the phone and they you know, were setting up an appointment for them to come fix my internet. And then the woman says, oh, dear, it seems your house has been red flagged. And I was like, uh, what, what does that even mean? She's like, well, apparently you have a, uh, a dangerous animal. And I was like so confused and I explained to her, well, I don't have a dog or anything. And she's like, no, it appears that you have a cat that made a technician previously feel uncomfortable. And it turns out that my cat, I, I don't think she actually made biting contact, but apparently made a gesture or came very close to biting a technician who had once worked at my house. So I had to, you know, keep the cat locked away in a room in order to get the technician to agree to come and fix and give me a new modem so I could get up online and watch Suarez bite. So it was just so ironic that I have this evil little uh, cat who could play in the World Cup. She'd be great. Right. You were unaware of the biting incident because of a biting problem. In <laughs> so I just can't believe you got... So for, in other words, for the cable company to come back, you have to put that, you know, the Anthony Hopkins yes. mask on. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. yeah, I had to get like a little little one of those on her okay. face. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I want to know what technician 
like goes back to work and is like, listen, this little cat really made me feel really uncomfortable today. And I don't think I can go back there unless it's locked up in a room. Like we're going to get calls from uh, from cable people who've been, you know, dive bombed by canaries and all kinds of uh, horrible things here. (laughs) Someone someone also asked me, oh, Luis, you know, you're into soccer um, or football. what is this Luis Suarez incident? And, and I, incident I said, well, Luis Suarez is a 27-year-old uh, year old toddler from Uruguay uh, who, you know, took a chunk of or tried to take a chunk of meat from a, a, an Italian player, Colin was saying. Um, but the other part about the story that you mentioned in our emails, Colin, and, and I read about this, is that people were betting Right. Worldwide <laughs> on him doing this at the World Cup. 167 documented cases of people betting. I think on those London betting pools uh, were betting, uh, taking a bet that Luis Suarez would bite somebody. And the, the aggregate Cup. payout was over $300,000. <laughs> wow. Wow. I wish I knew more about soccer before right. this. Yeah. <laughs> it might have been actually worth it for him to sort of set something up with somebody. You know, I mean, yeah. this is something he can control. Like a fix. Or maybe it's something he can't control, actually. But, um, th- I mean, it, it is there is something about biting that is different from everything else, right? I mean, it's just different. It's different from, you. I mean, you know, I mean, we saw Kermit Washington punch out uh, Rudy Tomjanovich uh, on the court. We've seen all kinds of horrible things happen in sports. But biting, it, it, is it, it's sort of like the last taboo, right? You, you don't bite. Well, yeah, it's like the thing your toddler does and you have to fight with them about when they're little and you just spend all this time. And, I mean, you can punch somebody in the face and you're probably not going to give them a disease. But, you, <laughs> but if you bite somebody, You can communicate all sorts of things, but it's also sort of just the ultimate act of desperation, it seems like. It's animalistic. Yeah, it's very like I'm cornered. There's nothing else I can do to change the way things are going, so I am going to bite you right now. I hate hate this cable guy. I'm cornered. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I've never seen a minute of Game of Thrones, and you are a big fan. I don't Mm -hmm. know about you guys. is biting part of the Game of Thrones? Is it featured there? there? Because this is like this, this is something that took place like what a thousand years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought this up because I actually think, and I didn't have time to even try to document this. And had I tried to document it, I would really feel like I was wasting my life to a certain degree. <laughs> but um, you know, I think there's a trope within TV and movies that that we've seen over time. That sort of uh, it, it sort of goes back to what you just described, Carolyn. I'm in a desperate situation. My hands are tied. You know, I'm about to die, but I'm going to bite this guy. And like I think on the long kiss goodnight, I think uh, you know there's a typical thing where Gina Davis is strapped to some kind of wheel or something, and she comes up to the bad guy and she manages to bite him. And it's always always this sort of once again this kind of stop time thing. Like wow, she bit him. He he just bit that guy's face off. Except I think it's happening more and more. I don't know. I'm looking at you. You work in the entertainment. <laughs> Street. I think they're relying more on more. It's a less of a special thing now when you when you get out of a bad situation by biting somebody's face off. I, I mean, I've never. Uh, no, that's. Not I don't true. know if you're up for any <laughs> roles right now. <laughs> you not make some important yeah. confession, right? Yeah. I was going to say I've never bit anyone, but I, I, I did. I one time I was on Tower of Terror in Disney World, and I got it was the one time I went on that, and I got so terrified. I was with my brother, and I like went to like turn to like nuzzle into him, and I was so scared. I bit him and latched on. 
No cable person should ever come here. I, I know. The cable man didn't need to just be afraid of the cat. <laughs> but um, So, I mean, I bit him out of terror, and it was kind of more like I was, like, screaming and then just, like, latched mm-hmm. on. So, I mean, I guess, I guess you are, it, turning to me is correct in this situation. <laughs> I'm a biter, I guess. See, we, we knew there was something, there was some twinkle in the eyes today that you were going to confess something. <laughs> but, I, but I think, you know, first of all, we live in a culture now that's saturated with vampires who bite. Uh, I mean, True Blood is now in its uh, f- its final season. And zombies who are everywhere, zombies bite. And, and so that was always the message. The most horrific thing a terrible monster or horror chiller creature can do is to bite you. Yeah. Except I think biting, I think there's inf- biting inflation is going on right now. And biting isn't worth as much as it used to be. Well, there was that, it's, you can blame that guy in Florida who uh, was high on whatever and tried to eat the homeless guy. The zombie like, man. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> like it's just because, you know. I'm so I, I glad mean, I didn't know about that. <laughs> yeah. And I'm so unhappy that I do know about it now. Well, biting is sort of like the step before cannibalism, right? Which, uh, what the guy who brought us up here today, he, Josh. Yes, he mentioned um, soccer, players the, the who, soccer players who eat each other. And, uh, the airplane uh, mm-hmm. on the Andes. Mm-hmm. Right. They have to be really hungry to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but so, I mean, that's re- I think that's really what it is, is. It, it used to be like the step before you were going to eat another human being, which is like the last thing you do. But, and now it's sort of like, oh, this guy's got me in a headlock, so I'll just bite his finger But off it wasn't like that. When I finally <laughs> yeah. saw this incident, because, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, yeah. you know, I kept hearing about it. And then when I saw it, I mean, it really, like I said, I mean, the word animalistic came into mind. I, I mean, it was like a lion tackling a gazelle. He just like came out of nowhere and like... <laughs> Got right on him. So and it's it's so weird to me as a tactic for this particular. Like I can understand sort of Mike Tyson and being in a clench with a Vander right. Holyfield and biting off an ear, but to run at someone very quickly <laughs> and force your face into their shoulder. And this is another large, muscular man is basically doing – you're probably doing more damage to yourself than you are to him at this point. Oh, yeah. He's and lucky he didn't lose a tooth in that yeah. hit, in that attack. <laughs> well, actually, it might have been good for him to lose his teeth because <laughs> a lot of people comment on the, on the bad job that the orthodontist did mm-hmm. back in Uruguay. Um, but, Colin, you, you wrote, I think, uh, whether biting is the ultimate loss of control – and that's kind of like the line that we have um, pursued so far. But let's just twist it a little bit. What about biting as a sexual fetish or as an expression of sex- sexual desire? Um, for example, so people— now would be a good time for our transmitter to go out. But anyway, <laughs> go, go, go ahead. Keep going. Don't, don't, don't a lot of people—you uh, can see them in movies and life— uh, when all of a sudden, you know, they are attracted to somebody, they look at them and they're biting their own lip. Um, so there might be something really primordial uh, that has to do with this. And, and, and don't, isn't that something that people get involved in doing? Well, I, I think mean, it has to be, there has to be, once again, it's almost like Columbusing. There has to be some level of consent and kind of mutual understanding about what's going on here. You can't, I mean, I, I, I think you're getting, I mean, Marv Albert, I poor Marv Albert, I feel bad <laughs> bringing him up, but Marv Albert's, you know, sports broadcasting career was seriously interrupted when it turned out, when it came out, that he had bitten a woman, or actually it turned out two women reported this, like a lot more than they wanted to be bitten. So I think that's sort of the key. If you're going to bite someone sexually, you have to bite them just as much as they want to be bitten and, and not consent. more. 
consensual biting. It's consensually and, you know, and not more than they want to be There's bitten. There's a line between nibbling and biting, and he crossed it. Right. Uh, and, and I do think the, the one way in which the taboo is still maintained is you get in a lot of trouble for this. I mean, Marv Albert, he really kind of disappeared for a while when that happened. And uh, according to, the, I guess, Luis Suarez has been banned from uh, international soccer for four months, mm-hmm. um, so, mm-hmm. which Giorgio Cellini, the bitten man, thinks is too much. He says uh, FIFA's decision to hand Suarez a four-month worldwide ban uh, is is excessive and admitted that he feels sympathy for the 27-year-old and his family, who he believes will suffer. Might be Stockholm Syndrome (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) on the part of the victim. We've seen that in other contexts. But, um, I mean, I think that part of the – just contextualize a little bit this incident with Suarez in the game – this was a game, uh, and I've argued this with friends online, um, that the referee let get out of his hands on controlling the amount of violence that was taking place. Normally there is uh, physical uh, jostling and, you know, kicking or pulling of shirts and whatever. Uh, but there was, this was a very rough game from the very start, and there were too many fouls that the referee was not calling. There were many instances where he should have given green cards to people, uh, earlier in the game, and so um, I think that 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 is a herd mentality and, when people he, see that. And he knew he had a biter on the field. It's not yes. as though he didn't know that about Luis Suarez, because yes, apparently yes. everybody does. And and, he, and anyone who has raised children knows that children start playing, and there might be one incident, or there might be two incidents. But and, it is sort of the first thing you teach kids, right? Mm-hmm. You can't yeah. bite. I mean, everything else is negotiable, but you can't bite. I do want to just uh, do a little tip of the hat before we move on to to, to Mensa and and uh, match to a sports psychologist, Thomas Fawcett of the University of Salford who was interviewed in 2012 during the last Luis Suarez biting incident, the, the, most, the most recent uh, prevalent or prominent uh, Luis Suarez biting incident. Uh, he said biting is rare in most sports, but in contact sports it can be more of an issue. Uh, he sa- said at the end of the article, did Thomas Fawcett in 2012, he thinks that the discipline uh, directed at Suarez at the time would be likely to have minimal effect. It's in the man, he says. I would think that in five years' time, if there was a certain nerve hit or a cord rung with Suarez in a different situation, he would react in the same way. So to- Dr. Thomas Fawcett, you saw it coming. You an ex- it. Hence an those expert. bets were placed. Right. <laughs> People read that in their bets. <laughs> yeah, get your bets down. All right. So uh, one thing that uh, Teresa directed us towards, I think I, you have re- responsibility for this, mm-hmm. uh, is the is a little a joint venture, venture between Mensa, which is for uh, people who, who are intelligent, uh, have high IQs, uh, and Match.com. Everybody knows what Match.com is. So uh, in this new dating website launched this week, only use users who fulfill Mensa's requirements by testing in the 98th percentile on an IQ test can sign up for this exclusive new opportunity to meet other people just like them. Um, American Mensa has more than 57,000 members, and an estimated 6 million Americans are eligible for membership, uh, which I guess would stand to reason, given the fact that it's the 90th percentile. But anyway, um, Scott Porter, who has signed up for Mensa Match, said he joined the organization to meet people. And Men- uh, he, I think he means Mensa. And Mensa Match seemed like a natural extension. I've hit walls in relationship where I got to the point of, what are we going to talk about, said Scott Porter. Uh, he said he's noticed that intellectual, intelligent people are generally curious. If you get someone who's curious, you can probably always find something to talk about. So besides the fact that we all don't want to go out with Scott Porter, um, <laughs> because we know he's going to be thinking, 
oh, what are we going to talk about now? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And by the way, our number on this, if you want to comment, 860-275-7266, 860-275-7266. Why did you send us to this particular news item, Teresa Kramer? Well, there's a a lot of things that I think are funny about this, but um, one – like, if you've already joined Mensa, like, why do you then need to join the Match Mensa or whatever they're going to call it? Because you it's just go to your Mensa meeting and see who's local. I don't, I don't know. They're not very smart. They're going to pay money for this. Um, but then there's also – so there. I've read a few articles about people sort of just gaming the free sites where they um, they use sort of multiple, multiple um, profiles and – Excel spreadsheets and algorithms to find like the perfect dates for whatever they're looking for and to try and basically game love. And I just thought that this whole Mensa thing, when you add Mensa members into this equation, this is going to become even nerdier. When you say gaming the free sites. The you free look, sites. Yeah, like OkCupid, OkCupid or yeah. Plenty of Fish or something. Well, they'll, they'll go in there and they'll have five profiles and they'll set them up for – to attract a specific kind of person, and then they run all these weird algorithms. I don't know how they do it. They're nerds. <laughs> but um, but this just seemed to me like it could get out of control. And, well, I don't know if you've ever been out in public where you've seen, like, what is obviously a first date probably from the Internet happening. And it, I, this, I had this happen to me recently where I was sitting in a Starbucks and people were on their, obviously, their first date, and I could not stop listening. And I, I would love to be sitting next to one of these dates. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you're next. Uh, I I so, don't know. Or if you want me to prompt you, do you want to prompt? Prompt me. Okay, mm-hmm. my prompt would be, I, you know, I have to confess, I mean, we all have prejudices, right? Actually, my son claims that I have a prejudice against stupid people. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he says that all the time, too. He says, really, you like everybody, or you're very tolerant of everybody, very open-minded. He goes, you really, you're really kind of, you don't, you don't like stupid people. Uh, I don't happen to believe, I don't think that's true. But I do have a prejudice against Mensa, and I don't know why exactly that is. <laughs> but I, I'm going to admit that right now. So it, that it seems obnoxious. Go ahead and yeah. send your emails <laughs> anyway to Colin. Even though you qualify. C-O-L-I-N at WNPR.org. Send me your emails. I, I understand, too. It's an unfair prejudice. But there's something about signing up for an organization that that is that is what that is. Mm-hmm. You are inherently saying something about yourself that I, must rub me the wrong way. But I don't even know if I can put it into words. All right, Payne, there's your prompt. All right. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're in Mensa, there's there's this part of you that's like, I'm, I'm better than, mm-hmm. you know, 98 percent of the world or something would be your <laughs> your your theory behind that. Uh, I mean, there are dating sites for everything now. I mean, there's like the farmer one. There's one for, you know, people who are into everything, like any. Yeah, yeah. I'm far, sure far, there yeah, is farmers who bite. Actually, yeah. I, I mean, so I, I get it. I just am. I don't like these dating websites. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I feel like the world did fine for years without these. Like we were out there mingling and being single, and people were. I mean, clearly the population. That's is true. Still, people were miserable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were miserable and lonely and unhappy, and to a certain degree, they still are. How are we all here if people weren't finding people before Match.com? I feel like there was a lull between Match.com and when people would actually like ask people out in the supermarkets or so. You know, like see, you I prefer these 
I think like I prefer a you'd, supermarket you'd pickup. Be, you'd rather be hit on in a supermarket than yeah, yeah, because it. Like, I don't know because if someone actually yeah, like if I was really there just trying to buy cereal and someone was like, <laughs> hey, I would be like, it is like nine o'clock at night and I am just trying to buy some milk. You need Honestly, to get out of like my, face. my favorite single <laughs> bar is like the hot bar at Whole Foods. <laughs> yeah, because like you know a dude who's like scooping mac and cheese into his cardboard box, you know he is going home to like sit on the couch. Yeah. He is single. <laughs> make a move. Like that's a good singles bar. But I don't feel like people do that, and that's why dating sites. Are <laughs> and, and that's why I'm single. Yeah. <laughs> not only can Luis not get in a word in edgewise, but he's completely hysterical at this point. <laughs> I'm trying not to make too much noise in front of the microphone, so I'm backing off. Um, I, I do tell me something today, Caroline. I have to be careful when I go to the Whole Foods uh, to buy the prepared foods, uh, so I don't get the wrong impression. Uh, but look, I have a little story. I have a friend of mine who, you know, is an academic, super smart, uh, qualifies for Mensa. My my guess is. Uh, but never joined, uh, who got into a, rela- a long-term relationship in which his girlfriend uh, was a member of Mensa, also an academic, PhD, and so on. These are two people, you know, very high-power academics. And the one complaint that he always had throughout the relationship was how difficult it was to get into an argument, into a disagreement uh, with her because she would bring the fact up that she, she was Mensa, Mensa and he wasn't. She yeah. sounds terrible. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the only Mensa story. I really mm-hmm. don't even know much about Mensa, but that's one story that has been in my mind for quite a bit of time. Well, in some ways, this is simply also an extension of what all personal ads are, mm-hmm. right? Every personal ad is a statement of your attributes. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody writes a personal ad, you know, ad that says, I'm pretty average, you know, I'm of average intelligence. You know, I'm just okay looking. I mean, nobody ever says that, right? I mean, everybody, whatever you're going to say in the ad, you are going to accentuate the positive as much as you possibly can. So, in some ways, maybe there's just, there's nothing. It's kind of as you said at the very beginning. There's this is really just uh, a kind of a worm biting its own tail. This is like just it's the same thing, repackaged with a slightly different M word. All right, Caroline confessed something. I'll confess this. I was, I was <laughs> Caroline has actually confessed many things. Many things so today. <laughs> I mean, uh, but um, you know, I'm, I'm not. I don't belong to men's. I, I'm not sure if I really qualify at all. But um, but I tried to join the website today, just prepared to the discussion. <laughs> and I have joined uh, quite a few of these, uh, you know, matching websites over the years and whatever. Uh, and I did not see anything. I, I did not finish the the process, but I was well into it, probably like the 87th page of questions. Um, <laughs> and I did not see anything in it that was that really made any sense in terms of being for quote-unquote intelligent people. That's the sign that you're not in Mensa. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> okay, we got a quick call. We got to do this fast, but we got a call from Mike, who is, I believe, a, a Mensa chapter president here. Uh, he's on the road. Hi, Mike. Hello. You're on the air. All right. Yeah, my name is uh, Michael Whitehouse. I'm actually the it's the, we're called the LOCSEC, the local secretary okay. of the uh, the Connecticut Western Mass chapter. And so I felt I should chime in. I also, by coincidence, met my wife uh, through online dating. All right. So what's your take on all this? Chime in. Um, well, a few things. Well, one is that um, it, there's a joke in Mass that it's a high-intelligence-themed drinky organization. Um, that's basically, it's what you expect any social group to be. People get together, and we have dinner groups and hang out and happy hours and breakfast. And uh, it's basically, it's a, a common interest group. You know, people who who think similarly. Um, 
like to hang out with people who think similarly, and that's really what uh, what Mets is about. So, I mean, it, it sort of goes back to what uh, to what Teresa said at the beginning. So, you've already found people exactly like you, and I just feel like when you're having those brunches or whatever, you're all thinking about how smart you are, um, and hence my prejudice. But I know that's unfair, and I repent, and I, I want to be a better person about it. But thanks for calling in, Mike. Uh, we got to go so we can come back and endorse things, which is something I columbus uh, So we'll do that, and we'll come back. You. got a text. It's from Luis Suarez. He wants to know if I feel like going out for a bite, and then there's this really scary emoticon. Today's show was produced by Betsy Kaplan and me. Our interns are Lily Taylor and Josh Nalea. Greg Hill appeared in the intro and tweets for us at WNPR Colin. The part of Bill Curry was played by Shia Labu. Shia Labu. Katie Talarski is our executive producer. For show pages, articles, and photos of the Faith Middleton Show staff, Columbus, and coffee-flavored wine in a can, go to our website, wnpr.org. On Monday, show Dahlia Lithwick stars on The Scramble. And now, back to Colin. Yeah, that's right, Dahlia Lithwick, who is the uh, Supreme Court observer among and above all Supreme Court observers. My theory is that uh, Judge, Justice Scalia, like, you know, with trembling hands, looks at what Dahlia has written about him, just the way people used to do that on Broadway about Frank Rich reviews. All right, so it's time for endorsements. Uh, and uh, so we'll start over here with Carolyn Payne. What have you got? I am really into the show on BBC called Almost Royal. It is hilarious. Check it out. It's a brother and sister who are touring the U.S. claiming that they are in line for the throne and um, it, it's just brilliant. So check it out for a good laugh. Is it? It's it's a fictional show, yeah. or is it? Re- or is it? Re- it's filmed to be like a reality show, yeah. but it, it's it's wonderful. All right, what have you got for us? Uh, <clears throat> uh, I've been watching the World Cup at the place that maybe hasn't been endorsed here before, but I want to endorse watching uh, the World Cup there. The place is called Cafe Sofia. Uh, it's a coffee shop on uh, West Harford in the West Harford Center. Um, 984 Farmington Avenue, right across from the intersection, the corner with La Salle Street. You're actually the um, third person to endorse uh, Cafe Sofia. Okay, I think, but that's okay. because I'm, I'm one of them, and I love yes, it. but I love but for but for watching because it's not something yeah. that people will think about. Right. For watching because if you walk in f- through the front or even you go to the front of the place, uh, you you would maybe you know, not know that in the back towards the parking lot. They put the big, big TV, and for the United States uh, Germany game the other day, I counted 27 people there. In fact, I put a picture mm-hmm. on Facebook, and it's a great place. Now it's dry, quote unquote, but it's a you know BYOB place, um, very international uh, mix of people, uh, age-wise also. I strongly recommend it. Again, it's called Cafe Sofia, um, West Hartford Center, across from the corner with La Salle Street. Great for watching um, and, you know, be what we be. Yeah. And if you come there on uh, Saturday mornings, you'll probably see me hanging out with my son. That's where we hang out. All right. I'd like to endorse popsicles because when it's hot out like it is right now, it's pretty much all I eat, like real fruit popsicles. And uh, I... 
I, I would probably have died brand? already this week. A I do. Brand? Okay. I like the Edie's Outshine, mm-hmm. and they happen to have been on sale this week, and I had coupons, so my freezer is like filled with them. And right hopefully, here. nobody was hitting on you at nine o'clock in the supermarket. No, I would have hit. I would have hit him with a big old box of popsicles. But um, but I'm also going because they can get very expensive if you have a addiction like I do. I'm going to try and start making my own real fruit. And popsicles. you can make boozy popsicles. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, those that's great. Those are all great endorsements. I, I will endorse. I, this is one of my incredibly late to the party endorsements. You really shouldn't endorse an online video when it already has twenty four million views. However, <laughs> however, I'm going to do that anyway. I mean, uh, Jimmy Fallon really has, of course, mastered the whole idea of taking little moments from his show and making them into these twenty four million hit uh, viral videos. But uh, his lip sync battle with Emma Stone really is fabulous mm-hmm. because. And Emma Stone is just really, really, really good at lip syncing. You wouldn't even think it's something you could be really, really good at. But she is. It even kind of helped me get Emma Stone. I'm not really sure I understood why Emma Stone was popular. But this this actually helped me sort of get it. And she's really uh, terrific and it's very funny and it just uh, it's just worth, worth your time. Uh, I'm going to endorse a couple other things very quickly. One of them is just for your own benefit. This is more of a public service announcement. I'm endorsing this weekend staying off the in- interstates. Uh, uh, because I-84 is going to be closed down, like closed flat down in Southington in order to, uh, to, for there to be a bridge replacement. This also means that traffic will be dis- diverted across 691 onto 91, which means 91 is going to be horrible. I mean, I-84 is going to be a, a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in two different, in both directions. Don't go. What is this? This is, it's already starting to happen. Don't go on I-84 west of Hartford uh, if you can possibly avoid it. Well, just don't uh, over the over the coming weekend and up until Monday morning. And be aware that if you go on any other, if you go on I-91, you're going to have a lot of extra traffic there because uh, it'll all be diverted over to, to get it off uh, 84. So I, I really am sort of encouraging you to avoid that. And then very quickly, I have just enough time. As we were studying... Uh, the world of biting, uh, apropos of Luis Suarez, um, I started thinking about the fact that you know, the human bite supposedly is much more infectious than a dog bite or all, which actually turns out not to be entirely true. But the other thing that I was really, I've always been keenly aware of is that Komodo dragons um, supposedly have such septic bites that if they bite you, you die of sepsis. Uh, that that they are so incredibly back to, and I always used to think, well, I mean, don't they floss or what is the problem? Why would Komodo dragons have so much more bacteria in their mouths than, than anybody else? Anyway, it turns out not to be true. So th- I'm not, this isn't really an endorsement. I'm not endorsing getting bitten by a Komodo dragon, but if you do get bitten by a Komodo dragon, it's not really true that you'll die from septic shock. That's only water buffaloes because when they get bitten by Komodo dragons, they go and stand in poopy water. Uh, so anyway. <laughs> Uh, so it's not really an endorsement. It's just an interesting little piece of information. Thanks to Teresa Kramer, to Carolyn Payne, to Luis Figueroa. We'll be back on Monday with a scramble. I'm Kyone Wolf, and for just $2 a day, you can feed Luis Suarez. He likes Italian.